Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Impolite Company. I'm Scott Wingeter. I'm your host. Uh, on our show, we like to talk about all of the great things that you can't talk about in polite company, uh, politics, religion, and all of the things that actually matter in life. Um, today on the show, we have uh, Jonathan Houlihan, who is a practicing lawyer in the Woodlands. He's a decorated Naval JAG officer, and he's running for Congressional District 8, a seat that is currently open, and uh, it's filled by Kevin Brady, who is retiring. So welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Scott. Appreciate the opportunity. So why don't we just start by getting to know who is Jonathan Houlihan? Okay, great. Uh, I grew up right here in Montgomery County. Uh, had the opportunity to get a football scholarship and, and played football at Texas State University. W what positions you played? Uh, defensive line. Awesome. So, yeah, graduated cum laude uh, with a double major in political science and history and a minor in business administration. Went on to law school at Loyola College of Law in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. uh, from there, I was the JAG recruiter. The Navy JAG recruiter was in the hallway one day in their whites, and I was like, man, you know, 9-11 had just happened. Yeah. And, it just seemed like a really neat opportunity. So I talked to the Navy JAG recruiter, ended up being an intern over the summer. Mm -hmm. I applied and was selected into the Navy JAG Corps, which awesome. only had about a 4 to 5% selection rate at the time. Yeah. So it was pretty competitive. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your service. Uh, you want to go a little bit into your uh, background as a Naval JAG officer? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> from there, uh, after being selected into the Navy JAG Corps, I went to Jacksonville, Florida, where I was a first assigned as a, a prosecutor, a legal assistance attorney, mm -hmm. would help with the whole gamut of legal assistance issues for sailors, soldiers, Marines, whoever needed it, and retirees. Um, but also I was a prosecutor, so I prosecuted crimes all the way up to attempted murder, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, distribution of narcotics. I worked with NCIS a lot. Mm -hmm. I did some sexual assault cases. Yeah. So that was really my only trial experience at the time. Uh, I worked with Ron DeSantis, uh, he was a oh, lieutenant awesome. in my office at the time, so kind of interesting uh, looking back. You know, at the time we were sure. both both sitting in the in the same space. I love Ron DeSantis. Yeah, he hasn't changed either. I mean, he's the same guy. Yeah. From what I know on TV, I mean, I don't talk to him anymore. It's been it's been a few years. Uh, yeah. He's hard to get a hold of these days. Uh, is he busy or something? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Last time I checked, but no, he uh, he's he's great. So from there. Just I'll, I'll speed through, but I was in Al Ambar with the Marines, uh, served there. Mm -hmm. When I returned home, I uh, eventually was stationed as the uh, JAG for the East Coast Base SEAL teams, oh, wow. where I did national security law, international mm -hmm. law, operational law, deployed with a special operations task force to Afghanistan, yeah. where I did you know dynamic targeting, uh, rules of engagement. I cleared, you know, legal cleared from the legal perspective drops on targets, mm -hmm. um, whether there were troops in contact in the operations center. So I did that. Uh, following that duty, I was the Navy Jack for the Blue Angels. Wow! So That's yeah, cool. and all the all the Naval Flight Air Training Command uh, for the entire United States. So I did that job, which was really interesting. Yeah. Following that, I was in the Sitcom AOR. I worked with the Special Operations Command. Okay. And did I was back kind of with with the SEAL community and the Green Beret community. I worked with the interagency a lot. Mm -hmm. um, worked on some some interesting things at the time. Sure. And uh, after that, though, I kind of started seeing what was going on with our country. Started really co being concerned about the future, loss of liberty across the board. Mm -hmm. um, saw what Ron DeSantis was doing. He was doing great things. My other friend was in Congress, Guy Reschenthaler. And I just 
felt like I could do more. Mm-hmm. I could serve in a greater capacity. Yeah. Uh, in, in a different role than a Navy JAG. I kind of got sick of just being the counselor and I wanted to really make the legal, I wanted to make the decisions. I wanted to push the ball forward and not just uh, make, be the guy on the legal sideline. Yeah. That's a, that's an incredible background. Um, and you know, a lot of people, and it's hard cause you can't talk about some of the stuff that, that you actually did working with, uh, those sensitive topics, you know, so yeah. calm, uh, the Intel community. And like, yeah, they, I have a background in that. I was, I was an intelligence analyst. Um, and so like, I know what that world looks like and a lot of people don't, but you know, there's a lot of intricacies that go, that go into that. Yeah. They, <clears throat> I can't talk about the last three years yeah. of my career at all. Right. Uh, I can talk a little bit about it, but there's, yeah. there's a lot more there and sure. it's fine. That's just how it is. Yeah. I was, uh, I was in Iraq in, uh, 2009 and, and in 2010, uh, as an interrogation analyst, the I was, even though I was Air Force, the Army picked us up and said, we need intel analysts. And so they threw us through a school real fast and then deployed us. But that was one of the coolest things that I've ever done. Uh, and it was such an interesting little tight-knit community because you're working with spec ops guys. You're working with lawyers like you. We mm-hmm. had psychologists there that, to help us oh, with I, the interrogation. I would have to case. build, when I was in Afghanistan with the SEAL teams, we would pick up, I mean, I was, we'd pick up guys off the X. Mm-hmm. I'd meet them at the flight line. Yeah. I'd bring them back and I'd go to the, the G2 or the J2. Yeah. Uh, and then we would, you know, I had to make sure, I was responsible for the detainees. I had mm-hmm. to make sure that, uh, you know, we were following all the rules. Right. So I would, they would do the intel debriefing and then I would use, uh, I'm not giving up any classified information, but right. I, would, I would take that information to build a detainee review package to make sure that they, the, yes. ba- the bad guys were detained. Right. And that all of those rules of engagement changed, you know, uh, I, I, if people remember after that whole Abu Ghraib incident, uh, with, oh, yeah. with the, you know, soldiers taking pictures of the, of the detainees and that got out and everything like that. And so, you know, a lot of things got locked down and there was a whole bunch of different processes. And, you know, us Intel analyst uh, guys had to work really closely with the, with the lawyers uh, in order to make sure that their, like, human rights were being respected and everything like that. So yeah, we, I, had, I have some funny stories about yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, it, for some reason, I always ended up, like, with the... in the. I had a combat camera guy tell me. He's like, uh-huh. sir, I've been to Afghanistan three times. And he's like, what we just did was some shady stuff. Cause I like, I had, I had the detainee and I was meeting a local warlord outside the gate. Yeah. And, uh, they wouldn't let them inside the inner gate. Right. So I was like, all right, we're going. And like, these guys are all kitted up. These are all seals. But like, I'm yeah. not kitted up. I was just trying to get rid of this guy. Cause I was sick of being responsible for him. Right. And I wanted to turn him over to the local, local warlord. Yeah. So we just walked right out the gate. Like where all these jingle trucks, I mean, they were all kitted up and they were fine, but yeah. I finally got rid of this guy and he wasn't my responsibility. I had to pass the paperwork. Right. I had to get, you know, had to have the warrant signed off. I had uh-huh. my combat camera guy there that took all the pictures to make sure there wasn't human rights abuses. And yeah. then I turned him over and I was like, ah, oh, Thank God. But uh, my guys weren't used to just walking around outside the gate with jingle trucks going by. No. I wasn't even I wasn't even wearing my body armor. It was pretty <laughs> stupid in retrospect. I probably could have gotten in a lot of trouble, but yeah. And I was the jag. Right. <laughs> well, that's okay. We'll we'll overlook that. So you got off of active duty in twenty twenty and what have you been doing since then? Um, so I wanted to get my family back home, my roots where I grew up. Uh, I didn't know Kevin Brady was gonna announce his retirement. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of Getting back into the to the swing of things, getting back into the community uh, where I grew up, 
Um, so I worked at a law firm at, in the Woodlands. So I work at uh, Siler Mitby. Mm-hmm. Really was doing cybersecurity. I was setting up their cybersecurity practice because mm-hmm. I have a lot of experience in that in sure. the military, uh, dealing with businesses, dealing with you know breach notifications, things like that. But I really fell into this regulatory compliance with some of America's frontline doctors, like Dr. Stella Emanuel. It's one of my first cases. Oh, wow. She was the doctor that stood in the courts of the Supreme Court, and President Trump tweeted about her, about mm-hmm. hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And um, we just bonded immediately. And and I speak, one thing I speak really well is bureaucrat. Yeah. So uh, I was able to successfully navigate a lot of these cases where the various medical boards from the states are going after licenses of these doctors. Oh, yeah. So... I spent, I've spent so many hours fighting off uh, these bureaucrats and fighting other cases for vax mandates, uh, mass mandates. I have several cases with that, mm-hmm. just fighting for liberty. And I was so blessed and honored in a way because, look, a law firm life is a grind. Yeah. Like, it's billable hours, it's mergers and acquisitions, it's not fun. Right. Like, it's a means to an end. It wasn't like in the military where I felt honor in my work, mm-hmm. but I felt honor in my work. That's awesome. I felt like yeah. I was fighting for liberty. If you can if you can put me in front of a fight for liberty, I'm going to crush it because that's all we have. So I was able to be very successful with these doctors because the administrative state, the regulatory state was trying to get in between them and their patient care. I mean, you had bureaucrats acting like they had a medical license and they knew better than the doctor. All of these medications are, can be prescribed off-label. Mm-hmm. And the CDC has approved them for that. Mm-hmm. So if a doctor with a medical license says, I believe this right. antiviral medication, by the way, Dr. Emanuel is from Nigeria, and she treated malaria with, with hydroxychloroquine, with hydroxychloroquine uh-huh. for 10 years. Right. And people take it as a prophylactics there now. Yeah. If you go on the Department of State's website, and you go to those areas, like even in South America or Africa, uh-huh. they will recommend that you get uh, a prophylactics of hydroxychloroquine before you drink the water because uh-huh. it's a malaria drug. My point is, everything's been turned on its head. Right. Liberty is suffering. So mm-hmm. I felt very proud and honored that I had the opportunity to represent some of these doctors. And it's informed me for my run for Congress. Right. Like, all of this has prepared me. This has been all purposeful. So when I can get in there, I can be most impactful for the people of Texas. Great. Well, thank you. Real quick, so let's talk about your your specialities in law. You you know you're you're recognized as an as an expert in international law and intelligence law. Did you want to go into all that? A yeah, bit? sure. So just through the course of so in the Navy JAG Corps, there's a couple of ways to get your expertise designator. Mm-hmm. Um, you can either go to school and get like an LOM, like an international law, national security law, which a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. I never got that far because it's usually at the 14 or 15 year mark of active duty. Okay. Uh, I'm still a commander in the Navy Reserves. I'm an 05, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I wanted to get off active duty. So um, just through subject matter expertise and on the job. So I got you know, an international law, just being with the SEAL teams, conducting all those SOFA agreements, mm-hmm. dealing with the Afghans and the local governments reviewing warrants for national security laws, working on Intel stuff, cyber stuff. Can't really get into that. Sure. But you know, each one of those expertise were built over a couple of years, a couple of years of, of uh, experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially on the cyber operations front and some of this Intel operations, some of these things, uh, really fascinating work. Yeah, absolutely. That, I'd love to get into it more, but you no, know, we can't. We but, can't violate the you know Espionage Act of nineteen seventy. No, we can't uh, because uh, our last name isn't Clinton. So no, we we can't. <laughs> but 
I will say that uh, the Navy JAG Corps was very upset when I left yeah. active duty because there was only like one or two guys that had actually had that experience yeah. uh, with the interagency, and I was glad that I got I got it. Yeah, that's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so real quick, let's get into um, the idea that um, if you were to get elected to Congress, you know, I mean, we don't know for sure, but I would imagine somebody with your background and your uh, credentials, you know, you might end up on something like the House Intel Committee. Um, if you were to find yourself into that position, uh, is there anything in particular that you would uh, be interested in into looking at um, in regards to some investigatory powers that you Yeah, have? I mean, so... It's one of the reasons I'm running for Congress, and I kind of missed that earlier. I'm sorry mm -hmm. about that. No, that's okay. Um, so when I worked at Special Operations Command and the staffs would come down, we had a lot of congressional staffers come down. We had a mm -hmm. lot of members of Congress come right. constantly. Um, they didn't really know what they were looking at a lot of times. So mm -hmm. uh, Most of them did, but there was a lot of things. I wish they had asked better questions. It, there wasn't – people weren't – hiding anything from them or I'm not accusing anybody of violating the crime or the law or anything. Uh, but it bothered me that Congress really knew so little about what was actually going on right. in the programs, mm -hmm. especially like the super classified programs and they didn't have the clearances. And uh, That's what drives me crazy is you have these members on the, on the House Intel Committee and even in the Senate as well. And, you know, they have access to all of that classified information and you know when you and i are going through you know the the background checks uh to get that top secret sci clearance you know they it's a process well so <laughs> so what i know about it it's only like the big eight right or yeah. whatever not every uh, every member of congress has it just if you're on the intel oversight or the armed services committee mm -hmm. uh, but even those guys they may have a TS, mm -hmm. but they won't have an SCI, and then they definitely won't get the ACCMs, mm -hmm. which, as you know, that's where some of the other stuff is. Right. So it bothered me that they didn't actually know what was going on. And it wasn't, like I said, they're not trying to hide anything. Sure. So I think it would bring a lot of perspective, mm -hmm. a lot of perspective to either Armed Services Committee or the Intel Oversight Committee to actually know about programs that go on in the, in the name of the United States government right. and, and how those programs are used. So I think either one of those committees I used to write. And review reports uh, for both committees. I used to uh, review the quarterly reports. I used to, I've written uh, language for legislative proposals into the NDAA. So the, the things that I did while on active duty, directly liaisoning with Congress, writing bills, drafting bills, interpreting bills, um, I think it really would prepare me uh, as a member of Congress. Yeah. More so than anybody else in the race. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Real quick, let's get into the idea of a scope of law. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you know this. Uh, I'm a I'm a history teacher, um, and I I work at a classical uh, school. It's a private school called Paideia Classical School. Um, Sounds expensive. Uh, it's actually really <laughs> affordable. Um, wow. Uh, it's a it's a it's a private school and homeschool um, sort of hybrid system. Oh, cool. So we kind of do a university model where like kids show up on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, two days face to face and the rest of the time they're doing all their 
work at home. So, you know, you don't have the oversight of having to meet five days a week. So it's a mm. lot cheaper and, and much more affordable. So, <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, it's really cool. Have to look at that. But one of the things I love to talk about in, in my classes with my students is the idea of law and, you know, picking up some of that old Western culture stuff like, uh, you know, Aristotle's politics, Aristotle's Nicomachean ethics, uh, you know, really dusting off the old classical mm -hmm. uh, books. And, you know, Aristotle has a lot to say about the law. And there's this whole scope of law that I, that I like to, you know, demonstrate for my kids. Going from nat natural law at the very top down to, you know, the laws of nations, all, all of the countries on earth and their laws and their law systems. And then you have negative law and positive law and, and part all the way down to the particular um, mm -hmm. Did you want to talk about how I think your background with, uh, you know, international law uh, and the importance of understanding law in, in that in that regards, both natural law and the laws of the nations and how that works for somebody that's going to be making law for the uh, United States? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is our rights. There's certain rights that the founders recognized. Mm -hmm. They were inspired by uh, Aristotle and Cicero and John Locke and, mm -hmm. and and these these the members that's where they came up with if you look at the Declaration of Independence I mean Jefferson greatly inspired by natural law sure the rights of nature's nature's God mm -hmm. uh, all of these rights are not granted from man these rights are, are rights that you already have right whether it is your right to defend yourself your right to free speech the right to assemble those are not granted from government mm -hmm. those rights must be protected from government and that's when the idea of negative law comes in yes so exactly. you have to protect those rights uh that's what government is for what we've seen now is it's completely been flipped on its head mm -hmm. and people really believe that they have a right to own a weapon because the government says it's okay mm -hmm. you have a right to say what you want to say because the government says it's okay you have a right to assemble because the government says it's okay we have seen a complete inverse of what yes. the founders envisioned, and it's right. extremely dangerous. Right, and it's so the people are so ignorant about that, and it drives me crazy. You know, you, I look at something like the heartbeat bill. Uh, you know, not getting picked up by the Supreme Court again. Uh, you know, what was it last week? Uh, you know, and then you see all these headlines like, oh, you know, the a woman's right to have an abortion is you know constitutional because the Supreme Court gave us that right. The Supreme Court doesn't give you rights, and if they... you're going to get me going, <laughs> uh, I mean, our entire system of government is misunderstood. I mean, Article One, Section One of the Constitution, it says uh, all all laws shall be vested in the Congress and the Senate of the United States. Yep. So the founders put Article One, Section One. The founders envisioned the Congress as being the strongest branch of government. Yes. The, there's how many? Do you know how many courts are listed in the Constitution? Uh, just the one. Just the one. A lot of people don't know that. Yep. So Congress created. Under the executive branch, they created all these various agencies and bureaucrats for yes. years. For over 100 years, they've created it. Well, it started with the Bureau of Land Management after uh, the Civil War. But mm -hmm. since then, we've gotten more and more agencies, and they've abdicated their duties to these unelected and unaccountable bureaucrats. Yes. And they've done the same thing with the courts. Mm -hmm. So people really believe the courts are the law of the land. The courts are the strongest. Congress created those courts. Right. There's only one court that matters. That's the Supreme Court. Right. And Congress also has the ability to remove those courts. You yes. Know? If the Ninth Circus Court of Appeals, as I like to call them, keeps going crazy and making all these unconstitutional interpretations 
of law and everything like that. It's it's people don't re- realize it's within Congress's power to just say, you know what? Yeah, we're getting rid of the Ninth Circuit. Uh, we if, don't like them anymore. If we took over enough seats in the House and the Senate, mm-hmm. we could get rid of the Department of Education tomorrow. Yeah, cancel them. Mm-hmm. All of these agencies were created by statute. Every single agency you could think of, OSHA. And the Department of Labor in that statute That's right. that was drafted in 1973 that granted these emergency powers mm-hmm. was granted by Congress. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I want to do in Congress is go dust these things off, look at these powers we've given to these unelected and unaccountable bureaucrats and cancel them. Cancel the powers, cancel the statute, rescope, redraft, and get rid of these unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats because they're ingrained in our government. They're in the long march to statism and socialism in right. our government. And that is the only way we're going to take back our country. The only other way besides that is Article 5 of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Like we have to get control of these, these bureaucrats. Uh, I absolutely agree with the administrative state. Uh, you know, I, I like Mark Levin's definition of it. He, he looks at it like he calls it the federal leviathan. It just gobbles up everything. That's where our liberty is going. Yeah. It is so clear to me. Our liberty, our personal liberty, our individual liberty is disappearing with these federal agencies. Our state sovereignty is disappearing with these federal agencies. Look at what the liberals have on the horizon. The Green New Deal, the Build Back Better, all these things are going to chip away at our state sovereignty. They're going to tell you before it's over what toilet you can buy at Home Depot in the state of Texas. They're going to tell you what truck you can buy in the state of Texas. That's not how it works. Right. We are we are a constitutional republic. The principles of federalism mm-hmm. should should rule the day here. It's not some bureaucrat sitting in a desk in Washington D.C. that gets to tell us what toilet we can buy. Right. And we need to we if we don't start electing the right people to Congress, it start. I'm I'm convinced it starts with the Congress. Yeah. If we don't, we're never going to get control of this. Well, no, you're absolutely right. And it's so un it's so unaccountable. People don't realize like. Law is supposed to come from our elected representatives, you know, in the House of Representatives, and then, you know, uh, the senators who are supposed to not represent the people, but rather the states. Um, And then those bills go to the executive to sign into law. Well, it doesn't work like that. You know, if I want to fly to New York or L.A. right now, I got to wear one of those stupid masks on my face. Why? Because there's a law that Congress passed? Yes. No. Well, no, no, no. They created the FAA that gave them regulatory authority to pass these rules. Right. It's in the federal register. But the FAA can prosecute me. The FAA has basically the power of law. They can make law. They can enforce law. Uh, They even have their own special little courts that they can try me in. And so they are... All three branches of government into one, and it's this fourth branch of government. Do you think I'm not taking receipts on all this stuff? Yeah. Like, I'm taking receipts. <laughs> like, I may be a first-term congressman when I get in there, a freshman congressman, uh-huh. but I'm telling you, I sat when I sat down with Paul Gosar, and he endorsed me, and we talked about these things, look, man, I'm not your typical first-year freshman. I, I will be able to hit the ground running, mm-hmm. and I'm going to build relationships with people, and I'm taking receipts on this stuff, and I'm going to introduce legislation, and I get it. There's this whole tier system in Congress, sit in the back and wait your turn and raise mm-hmm. money. We don't have time for that because guess what? Competence and hard work is going to overrule some idiot sitting in the back bench that can raise $100,000. Yeah. So, <laughs> Sorry, I get fired up. No, you're this. okay. That's what. Look, hey, it's impolite <clears throat> company, man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
So I, I like that that administrative state. I think you hit the nail right on the head. And nobody talks about that. Well, uh, yeah. No members of Congress talk about this, and no candidates talk about it. And I don't understand why. Yeah. No. I, I I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I have right here on my notes how do we get rid of the administrative state, but I don't have me to ask that. You just went right there, and so that's fantastic. Well, I talk about it all the time because it's the only way to restore liberty. No, absolutely. You know, and it all started in the progressive era, you know. Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson. The original statist. Mm -hmm. That's right. And we have to get rid of our constitutional republic. This whole, you know, we stopped. In fact, we. Ever, anybody notice that we, you know, all the historical documents prior to, you know, the progressive era, we refer to it as our republic. And then all of a sudden, no, we're a democracy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when did that change? Why? Yeah. Well, Woodrow right Wilson, he wanted this. He thought he really believed the American people were too stupid to govern themselves. And he wanted this panel of experts. Yes. And these, he's a statist. He believed in the state. He didn't believe he was an anti, uh, anti founder, anti constitutionalist. Mm -hmm. Um, he was a Marxist Yep. and he should be remembered that in the halls of history. No, absolutely. Um, you know, and one of the most racist presidents we've ever had. Uh, he's the guy that actually brought back segregation into the whole federal system. <laughs> yeah, into the post so, office and the yep. military. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. This yeah. And Democrat. Right. Democrat. Yep. Well, the Democratic Party is the party of racism. Yeah, the party America. of Jim Crow. Yeah, and the party of slavery and secession. That's right. And so. Well, I mean, they're, they're still, to, I mean, look at them. They're, it's just paternalistic. We know better than you. They're elitist. Mm -hmm. They're, they, they're anti-freedom, anti-liberty. They don't want to let people live their lives. Just let me live my life and be free. I don't need you telling me how to live my life. I don't need you telling me what car to drive. I don't need you to tell me um, what that you know better than my than I do for my kids' school and kids' education. Mm -hmm. Like they're they're just so anti-liberty. It just drives me nuts. Right. And they're a bunch of petty tyrants. Yeah, and well, they're hypocrites too. They're the first ones that'll scream at you for not wearing a mask, but then they walk around without a mask. Right. Exactly. They. I, they drive me crazy, but um, so I'm glad to see somebody calling uh, them out for what they are. Um, so when we look and we let, let's get into natural law, okay? And you know, the, it, it's a 2,500 year evolving theory that you know comes from you know cities like Athens and Jerusalem mm. and Rome and London and then Philadelphia um, and. You know, this idea that, like you said, our rights are coming from our creator. And it's important to understand that, that, you know, our rights come from from God. And even if you're an atheist and don't believe in a God, you know, it's still important to hold that uh, perspective. Well, it's, it's they, what they said is, they said nature's law and nature's God. Mm -hmm. So the founders are very clear in that. So you have a right to your sovereign in nature. You have mm -hmm. a right to, to your own sovereign body, and the government or anybody shouldn't be able to violate those rights. So right. even if it's not viewed as a religious thing from God, to some people, it can still be, look, you're alive, you're free, you can breathe air, you mm -hmm. can speak your mind, and no government has a right to take that away from you. Well, yeah, and that's the point. Because if, you're, if your rights come from the highest authority in the universe, right, then no man or group of men can then take that away from you and it's called tyranny yes and that's what we see today mm -hmm. we we are moving rapidly towards uh tyranny and it's it's kind of scary i mean the government can now tell you force you to take a jab or lose your job mm -hmm. the government uh can the federal government is now reaching into school boards 
mm-hmm. violating all principles of federalism, right. all principle, all principles of norms that we've had in this country for 246 years. Right. Uh, the, the police power has been turned on its head. You know, you know, states and talk about the Constitution, talk about the border. Um, the border is not being enforced. Article four, section four, it's a guarantee clause. Right. They guarantee a Republican form of government. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing that nope. because they're violating it with the administrative state. And they guarantee this every state in the union are free from invasion. We're not seeing that either. That's great. So across the board, the federal government's been turned on its head. Yeah. And you know, the federal government is just a mess. Everything they touch just is, you know, turns to crap basically. And it's a total violation of, of our principles. It's a total violation of, you know, our, our way of life and, you know, Something needs to stop it from, you know, reaching in and becoming this tyrannical state. And Starts at the Congress. I am so convinced. And people ask me this all the time. They're like, you're just one member of Congress. What can you do? That's actually on my uh, <laughs> All the time. What can yeah. one member of Congress do? Right. Other candidates will say, and I've heard other candidates in my race yeah. say this, well, I'm just going to go sit in the back and let uh mccarthy tell me what to do and Mm -hmm. figure it out and after my first year of being mentored well it's time to start running for re-election and by my second or third term i'll have it figured out Mm -hmm. Uh, now that's not how this works right um but congress i think as a member of congress you need to be a leader we need to be constitutionalists and we need to be independent thinkers and critical thinkers and we need to represent we the people the consent of the governed and we need to go up there and build coalitions and relationships with people that think like us Mm -hmm. because every day there's going to be more and more. And as we take over um, voting blocks, we can truly represent we the people and, and get rid of this tyranny that is just infesting. It's a cancerous tumor in our government and on our liberty. And that's what it's going to take. Would you support Kevin McCarthy for speaker if you were elected? Uh, I would have to see what the field looks like when I get there. I mean, obviously, I'm committed to the Freedom Caucus. So I would I would look and see what the Freedom Caucus is recommending. Mm-hmm. I would talk to Freedom Caucus leadership. Right now, it's Representative Scott Perry, former right. uh, retired general. And uh, at that point, if, if the Freedom Caucus is going to support uh, Mr. McCarthy, I'm cer- I certainly would uh, go with that recommendation. Okay, great. Um, let's get into this Marxist agenda of the left and sort of mm. try to dissect that. And love then, it. And then, comp- you know. I don't love Marxism. I love, <laughs> I love attacking it. Right. And then, uh, yeah, exactly. I'd like to compare and contrast that to, you know, Republicanism, small r Republicanism and, you know, natural law. So these Marxists are taking over, they've already taken over through the administrative state and mm-hmm. their experts, uh, you know, with this giant unaccountable fourth branch of government that we discussed. And now from the grassroots efforts, they're basically trying to tear down every single institution in America. Um, and the reason that they're doing that is, you know, through critical theory, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, whether it's critical race theory or, you know, critical economic theory, they're critical of, that's, that's essentially what critical theory means, is they're critical of the, uh, you know, standard way uh, of, of Americanism. Well, they believe, in my opinion, and I think this is documented, that mm-hmm. everything about America is bad. Mm-hmm. In their mind, they believe because we came here and took a hostile land and made it our own, it mm-hmm. was started in a way that they don't agree with, so it should all be torn down and started over. That's, that's what they right. believe. Yeah, Critical theory, 
uh, whether it's race or economic theory, um, they believe everything this the greatest country in the in the history of the world stands for is evil. They believe our constitution is bad, our flag is bad, dying for our country is bad, our troops are bad. They believe that, mm-hmm. and they will not stop until they tear it down and we get to start over. Right. And no. they're and they're socialist Marxist utopia. Right. So you know, I, I as a historian, I like to compare the American Revolution. Uh, to all of these other revolutions that took part, you know, especially the French Revolution is a great comparison here. You know, you look at the American Revolution kicked off in 1775, 1776, you mm-hmm. know, depending on your definition. Um, and, and then 13 years later, you have the French Revolution starting in basically 1789. Yeah. And the American Revolution was this organic movement that grew uh, from, you know, the patriots and the colonists, uh, but it was a conservative movement. It was a conservative effort to maintain life the way that they had had it prior to, say, 1763, when King George III walked onto the stage. Um, The French Revolution is completely different, and they, like you said, were the original people to try to tear down every single institution within their society. And so that's the playbook. It goes all the way back to the French Revolution where we're going to tear down the church. We're going to tear down the monarchy. We're going to, you know, we got to get rid of the calendar because it smacks of the papacy. They literally got rid of the the Gregorian calendar because it was too Catholic. um, And they replaced it where, you know, a week was 10 days and there were three weeks in a month and they renamed all the months. And like, it just was crazy <laughs> what they did. Uh, they tore down every single institution and that's the playbook. But you know, how does that work in history? We look at the French revolution. We look at the, you know, uh, there was a bunch of uh, failed at, revolutions in the 1850s in Europe. Look at the Chinese revolution. Yeah. I mean, look at Mao, you know, his five year and 10 year plans. He would take a doctor and say, you're now a farmer. Right. He would take a farmer and say, you're now an engineer. <laughs> and and th- that's what caused, I mean, think like 30 million Chinese people died mm-hmm. during this, the Mao's great cultural revolution. Yeah. I mean, we're in the midst of a cultural revolution in this country. That's it's right. the, Like I said earlier, it's a long march through our institutions. They've taken over our colleges. They've taken over our uh, media, mm-hmm. the, the corporate media complex. Um, and they're taking over our schools. Now they're, now they're after the military. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was on active duty. And I would read these NDAAs. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. NDAs, the national for your audience, it's the National Defense Authorization Act. It's a biannual mm-hmm. uh, funding document that funded the military. Right. So it gave us the appropriations to operate. And they would have in there like, and and I can get into way into this why the NDAs sure. are bad. Run, run with it. So like <laughs> for example, uh, Dan Crenshaw signed. He got all the flack for the red flag laws in the NDAA. Yeah. So I think they removed it from the final bill. I, I can't be for sure, but when through reconciliation, it got removed in the Senate version. But they, the left, has put all their equity initiatives, diversity mm-hmm. initiatives, race theory initiatives in the NDAAs. Mm-hmm. Did you know this? Yes. So when I talked to Paul Gosar and he asked me, "Would you vote down an NDAA?" I said, "Yes, I would." Right. I want to support the troops. So what they're doing is the, the Republicans are all like, we got to support the troops. Let's go. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, we're going to support it. We got a pay increase. The left is like, oh, here's our chance. Mm-hmm. So they jam all of this equity garbage 
into the NDAAs that makes its way down to the military. So all of a sudden now we're sitting in four or five trainings a week where they're telling us why we're, we're so bad and, and, and horrible people. Yeah. And I saw as a naval officer, I saw a professional reading list. I saw our books that have been on the reading list for 50 years about leadership and naval yeah. service get removed off the list so they could put uh, equity books on the, yeah. on the shelf. And then we're told Stamped by Stamped from the beginning. We're told by we're, we're told by two and three star yeah. admirals and generals, this is your new book to read. Oh, and that all comes out of the NDAA. Yeah. So I told pa, Dr. Gosar, we so you guys and I've told this to Matt Gates. I've talked to Matt Gates on the phone too. I said, You guys mm-hmm. got a real problem. Yeah. I said, if you do not get control of your military, you're gonna lose your military. Because they're 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 getting rid of the conservative viewpoints. Look at me. Right. Thirteen years, active duty. I was uh, 04 going up for 05. Mm-hmm. Iraq, Afghanistan veteran. I'd had all these jobs. I'd been the Jack for the Blue Angels, the Navy mm-hmm. SEALs. Yeah. Every job you could ever want. And I, I walked away. Right. I didn't want to do it anymore. They took the fun out of it. And there's a huge lesson in history uh, when you look at Russian history, uh, for example. Uh, you know, Tsar Nicholas II of Russia had a big problem uh, in 1905. Uh, he almost lost and had to abdicate uh, the throne in 1905 um, after they lost their uh, war with uh, Imperial Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, And the only thing that stopped him from losing the crown in 1905 was the fact that the military still supported him. When he lost the military was after, you know, year after year of disaster in World War I for the Russian troops. And by the 1917, when the communist Bolsheviks take over, he the, the reason that they were able to, to be so successful in that was that the troops didn't support the government anymore. Mm-hmm. And so if you we, we're going to have a big problem on our hands if, you know, this, uh, I think it's safe to say that, that what I see going on in the military right now is a purge, a purge of anybody in the military that has any sort of conservative value uh, any sort of belief in natural law, uh, the idea of, you know, that, you know, the government should have enumerated powers and, you know, negative law needs to be in place in order to protect the rights of the people. If you get rid of that sort of mentality and ideology within the core of your military, you know, that's a big problem. Yeah, I mean, if you get rid of, yeah, plus the virtue and, mm-hmm. and the character that goes along oh, with I'm it. I'm so glad you said that word, virtue. Yeah, being virtuous yeah. is important. was an important aspect to me being a naval officer and as mm-hmm. a leader and making right decisions. I mean, look, I was a lawyer, but I was still a naval officer at the end of the day. I still had people I was in, in charge of as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, heck, when I was, I had to make decisions, split-second decisions to determine if people lived or died on yeah. on these drops. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I had 15 or 10 seconds to make a decision, a recommendation to my commander whether or not we dropped a bomb and killed somebody. So, yeah, I mean, you got to be virtuous. you got to be strong in character and will mm-hmm. um, to make those kind of decisions and feel confident about it. Let me ask you, uh, let's, let's pivot here. A lot of people that get into politics, especially in Montgomery County, uh, whether it's you know local or running for a state seat in Austin, or you know a seat like yours uh, in in DC, everybody that's going to run in the Republican primary is going to get up there and they're going to be like, "I'm a conservative Christian uh, Republican," and you know they're going to th- throw that out there. 
What does it mean to be a conservative? Um, to me, it's a constitutional conservative. Mm -hmm. Just being conservative is not enough. Everything I do, I start with the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Everything has to start with the Constitution. It's the core of our, our country. It's the core of our constitutional republic. It's the core of our rights. I mean, rights aren't granted by the Constitution. The rights are natural law that are granted by God, but they're guarded by the Bill of Rights in the Constitution, right. like we talked about through mm -hmm. negative law. But um, everything starts with that. So if you are saying you're a conservative and you're not following the Constitution to a T or referencing, or mm -hmm. for example, if you don't know the five rights that are in the First Amendment, like some candidates in this race don't, yeah. I, I promise you that, um, <laughs> then you have a problem. So yeah. to me, it's always starting with the Constitution deferring to that i'm an originalist i defer to what the founders originally intended by the writing of the constitution mm -hmm. you'll see some folks that will slide well that may have meant that in 1776 or excuse me 1787 but it means something different now mm -hmm. it doesn't mean the same thing the right to bear arms means you have a right to a musket no it means you have a right to protect yourself uh, shall not be infringed, period, right. from the government. Another example of negative law. Yeah, so mm -hmm. that's what that means. It means you can you have the right to bear arms of today, not of 1787, but of today. Mm -hmm. So that's what it means to be a constitutionalist. Awesome. Yeah, no, specifically with the Second Amendment, that drives me nuts as a historian. You know, uh, you look at what Madison was trying to achieve in that first Congress uh, in, in writing that Bill of Rights. You know, the most people don't know this the constitution itself you know was written it passed the through the delegation um you know the the constitutional convention and then it had to get ratified by the state legislatures um and so you know it goes through all these uh, you know different states at the time there were 13 um and you know it, there's this debate in the ratification process the about whether or not versus the anti-federalists. Yes, exactly. Are we going to, are we going to adopt this document as, as our constitution? It and, wasn't, and it wasn't adopted until actually 1789. Right. Um, and you had States uh, like uh, New York in uh, Virginia, for example, that they ratified it, but they put a clause in that onto that ratification saying we want a bill of rights. And unless a bill of rights is included, uh, within a, an appropriate amount of time, we're going to pull back our actual ratification. That was in there. Uh, so Madison was very diligent as the first Speaker of the House. To, to, that was his agenda right off the bat was to you know, put it together, these amendments to the Constitution that became what is known as the Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. But m almost all of those were actually put in there. They were a lot of the grievances that we had against Great Britain during the uh, American Revolution. And, you know, the Second Amendment, we look at where did that come from? Well, that came from where the entire American Revolution actually started. On April 19th, 1775, General Gage sent a bunch of troops uh, out to, you know, Concord, Massachusetts mm -hmm. to do what? Take weapons. To take their weapons the away. Right. And so that's why the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The idea is that, you know, it says right in the Declaration of Independence, folks, that, you know, governments are instituted among men deriving their just power from the consent of the governed. Mm -hmm. And that when they don't do those things, you have a right. It is your right. It is your duty to overthrow that government. And how are you going to do that without guns? Well, not to mention it's <laughs> the largest militia in the, in the world and China would never... 
uh, invade, think about invading, I don't think, with mm -hmm. every red-blooded American owning That's right. you know, M400 enhanced from Sig Sauer and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's, I, and I do believe, I and mean, if you want to talk about China, I'd love to talk about them a little bit. Sure. I hate the Ch Communist Chinese Party. Yeah, so I'd love to get let's, on record. Let's smash them, huh? I want to get on record against them because I don't want them ever coming around thinking they can own me because they can't. But yeah, so yeah, the Chinese Communist Party is the biggest threat to human freedom in, in a long time since mm -hmm. the Soviet Union, Buckler. They've been at war with us for 50 years, mm -hmm. whether it's stealing our, our tech, stealing our missile technology, stealing our uh, intellectual property across the board, our corporate espionage. The, the Chinese Communist Party is using all facets of national authority to overthrow the United States. They're using the dime theory, their diplomacy, their intelligence services, their military, mm -hmm. and their economy. All of these things are, are going forward to overthrow the United States. It drives me crazy when you look at, you know, Trump-Russia collusion, the Russia hoax, Russia, 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 however you want to say it, how we, you know, chase that, in you know, imaginary rabbit down the rabbit hole for, you know, three or four years of, of the Trump administration. And now you have, uh, you know, with P Peter Schweitzer's newest book, he, you know, he's alleging that the Biden family uh, has received $32 million, $32 million from the Communist Chinese Party, uh, and in particular from their intelligence uh, agency. Yeah, either witting or unwitting. Like, these, mm -hmm. look, <laughs> one thing I've learned is the people in government are not the smartest people in the world. I mean, members of Congress are not the smartest people in the world. So either witting or unwittingly, right. the Biden family, probably at this part, part uh some of those things have been waiting uh taking shady deals mm -hmm. taking money um quid pro quo they've been you know hunter biden's been compromised obviously right i mean so um keith melton is probably the historian that i would point to uh as probably one of the you know most credentialed experts on espionage history um and uh he he has an acronym in his book uh, on how to recruit a spy to work for you. Uh, it's mice, money, idealism, compromise, and ego. Mm -hmm. And you know the Bi like the Biden family, money, money, easy. And that's this. That's the you know I can have a little bit of respect for you, even if even if I end up disagreeing with your whole entire ideology. But if you're going to be a true believer, uh, you know, like that, that has a little bit more honor to it than like just a bribe. I mean, you yeah. Know, like you're, if you're an, <laughs> if you're like an expat from a country and yeah. you, uh, and you want to get recruited, I'm talking about not the United States, but some yeah. other country to go, you know, stand up for your rights. Right. That's different than just well, taking money. Exactly. You know, so, you know, I just, I look at this and I'm like, this, he, this family's, $32 million is a lot of money. And this is the president of the United States we're talking about here. You know, we, we impeached Trump over a phone call, uh, but here we have actual hard evidence by, you know, an investigator here. We have Hunter Biden's emails because the crackhead lost his freaking computer. <laughs> and, you know, what are we doing with this? Well, nothing, because, you know, it's Joe Biden and not, you know. Well, yeah, and look at the collusion between big tech. Yeah. And the Democrat Party. I'll talk about that all day, too. Sure. Yeah, we so, can do that. Like Section 230 of the Public Communications Act, that needs to be reformed. Yeah. And I get it. I hear the arguments all the time from the free market guys. I'm a free market guy. Sure. I am. I believe in the free market. I mm -hmm. believe the free market should reign. But in 1995, when we drafted the Public Communications Act, and um, 
allowed them to rise up to these multi-trillion dollar corporations so they wouldn't get sued. Right. We've given them a form of corporate welfare. Mm -hmm. And that statute has not changed since really 1995. So we've given them some language in there. And if you've read the statute, it says um, that they could ban explicit material. They can ban criminal material. They can ban other material that's otherwise objectionable. So that gives. So what I on my YouTube channel right here that this is going to be on, and I'm like Hunter Biden's a crackhead. I said something that's offensive, didn't I? I probably just got canceled. That, hey, YouTube, if you could go ahead and cancel <laughs> us, like that would be awesome because I'm sure that would actually take off uh, in, in my favor here. So it's it's Let's do yeah, it. it's given us. it's given them the, the <laughs> it's given them the object the subjective authority and power to remove you. Yeah. Because they view what you said as objectionable. That's right. So we need to clarify that in the statute. Mm-hmm. We need to make these internet platforms we need to consider them public accommodation spaces and it's and, the public square. It's the public square. Yeah. Um that's what we need to do to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to keep the banning explicit material and all that because people want to, you know, you don't want your yeah, kids. Yeah, I don't want to go on YouTube and have my kids watching porn. Right, obviously. but sure. just just the <laughs> just the idea of 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 allowing these tech companies the ability to take that off. Here's mm-hmm. where we get in, into real problems, though. Mm-hmm. So what people need to realize and they don't realize is these private companies have a First Amendment right as a corporation, sure, and they can remove you. You don't have a First Amendment right on a private platform to say whatever you want. They can kick you out. Mm -hmm. For the same reason that the NFL, before they went completely woke, could fine people for protesting the national anthem. Now they encourage it because they're a bunch of woke, um, I don't know what they are, liberals, I guess. Yeah. Uh, But for the same reason. So, But what we have going on now, and this is one of the things I'd like to investigate, depending on the committee I'm on, Mm -hmm. is you have collusion between government and big tech. Yes. Let's give you a couple examples. The Hunter Biden story, they said it was disinformation, it was fake, mm-hmm. all this. So Big yep. Tech removed it. They right. called it disinformation. They directly influenced the, the, the turnout of the election. That's right. Number two, if people actually knew that story without the New York Post story being suppressed, right. they wouldn't have voted for Hunter Biden. The second thing they're doing, just in the last couple of weeks, they've said, hey, this is all disinformation about... Uh, uh, the shots about the COVID, all this mm-hmm. stuff. They've been talking about all this disinformation from not only pa- uh, P- uh, Paskey, but also the president said that the, if the big tech would just remove this disinformation off their platforms, then we'd be in a much better place. They've given them C2 direction and control, basically telling them wink, wink, nod, nod, you need to remove this information off your platform. Right Now you've invoked the first amendment. Mm-hmm. So when the federal government is telling these big platforms, what is disinformation? What to remove it? You've now implicated First Amendment protections, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, that's really clever. I like that, and I think that needs to be investigated mm-hmm. because they're trying to work an end around right. the First Amendment. Right? You know, it's this evil. It's it's so endemic to the whole Democrat Party. You have big tech and you know legacy media. Like, you know, how much? <laughs> how much money? You're never going to be able to calculate it. How much money did you know the legacy media end up really quote donating to you know Joe Biden in this last? Well, they can election. a lot when the Chinese yeah. Communist Party yeah. is paying them billions of dollars a year to run advertisement. Mm-hmm. Billions. Yeah, we have we have such a problem. You know, um, you look at a guy like Eric Swalwell. You know, fang, another fang, fang had his little spot. Yeah, 
Have, Do you know Eric? You know <laughs> Eric Swalwell. Before he ran for city council, had Fang Fang. Uh uh-uh. uh I think it goes back that far. You may have to fact check me on this. She found him before he ran for city council. Oh wow! That's where these these espionage activities are happening at that level. Uh, That's some scary. So stuff. who knows who's been compromised? Who right. knows who's in whose office? And he's on the Intel Oversight Committee. I know, I know. That's why I brought it up. You know, that, that's the kind of guy that you know he got you know picked up by a Chinese spy and literally, literally got in bed with her. <laughs> and he's you know got access to God only knows what uh, in regards to classified information. Yeah, and you know he didn't secure it in the safe, right? You know he's the guy that leaves his safe open and leaves right. you know stuff laying all over his office or takes it home with him. Yeah. So it, we're, we're almost out of time here. Uh, I want to get to this question. Um, what is the most pressing issue in, in, in your opinion? I mean, the loss of our liberty. The law, I mean, that's everything. The rule of law. Mm-hmm. The, the disproportionate treatment of American citizens. Due process. Uh, equality under the law. I mean, look, we have American citizens in the home of the free, in the land of the brave, that are being still detained in Washington, D.C., when they should have due process. They should have speedy trial. Mm-hmm. Many of those folks had their First Amendment rights violated. by They had a right to assemble and peacefully assemble, and they got rolled up with violation of their Fourth Amendment rights, mm-hmm. you know, the data that the government collected. I think the data is going to – I think the government's going to continue to centralize. They're going to continue to be more authoritative. And if I'm telling you, if we don't elect the right members of Congress – if we don't elect right members to all levels of government that are going to stand up to this, we're going to lose our country. Mm-hmm. We're going to wake up one day and not live in the same country. And we're going to be able to tell our, we're not going to be able to tell our children and our grandchildren what it was like to live in a country where men were free. And that's a Reagan quote, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cannot continue to go down this road. We have to stand up for a constitution. We have to invoke, invoke our founders. We have to invoke those things that made men great. Make men great. Make men and women great. We have to pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And if we don't start getting leaders that are willing to pledge our lives, our fortunes, and their sacred honor, we're doomed. Mm. We need the John Paul Jones. We need the Sam Adams. We need these people to step up and reveal themselves. And I know it's hard. Running for Congress is hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I every turn I've made, it's been a difficult challenge for me. Uh, the, the folks in my race are well-funded by... Folks, I don't know who they are, but they're getting millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not as well-funded because I actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I'm going to go up there and stand up yeah. and dig my heels in the ground. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. The only people that are going to tell me what to do are my constituents. And yeah. that's how it should be. Yes, absolutely. So that is the most pressing, important issue of the day, making sure we're electing the right people for liberty, to protect our Constitution, swear an oath to the Constitution, and uphold their duties. Excellent. All right. Well, we uh, everybody uh, has an opportunity uh, to vote for Jonathan Houlihan starting on uh, Valentine's Day, I think, is when early voting starts. February 14th right? through the 25th. So, And then March 1st is the uh, uh, actual primary if you want to vote in person on uh, actual election day. Yeah. Um, and uh, so... If you are interested, uh, make sure you get out there and vote. Um, uh, Then go to my website at uh, houlihanfortexas.com, H-U-L-L-I-H-A-M, for F-O-R, texas.com. Go on Ballotpedia. I've got a profile on there. 
Just check out, read. I encourage you to read about all the other candidates. Make your own informed decision. But I think that all of you will find that uh, <clears throat> that I have the qualifications and prerequisites and I'm the true constitutional conservative that will represent your interest in Washington, D.C. And uh, you can also uh, volunteer for your campaign. Oh, yes. That? Yeah, so I'm, I'm really bad at a couple of things, asking for money and uh, asking for volunteers. I don't know why. So if you'd like to donate to the campaign, I could really use it to get my message of liberty out. But volunteers are actually more important in a lot of ways because they can knock on doors. They can put in that sweat equity that makes up for those dollars. You can phone bank, uh, door knockers, uh, door hangers, all of those things are, are very much appreciated. We're going to need folks to be poll watchers too um, to make sure there's no shenanigans going on. Mm -hmm. But that would be very helpful as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. I had a blast. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate really it. appreciate it. All right. Yeah, thanks, guys. Jonathan Houlihan, everybody. Thank you. Uh, we'd like to thank again Dockline Studios for uh, being our uh, wonderful host. We have a wonderful crew here uh, that they, they provide us, and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks so much.